Exchange traded funds, they're diversified baskets of investments that are safe, right? Well, that depends on how much roller coaster you can stomach. Today, the story of exchange traded funds shaking an industry with Crazy Money's Paul Ellinger on today's Money with Friends. Welcome back to the Money with Friends podcast, coming to you live from my mom's half-finished basement, where we're quarantining and making Stacking Benjamins episodes. I'm Joe Saul Cihai. I'm Paul Ollinger from Crazy Money Podcast. And you are quarantining in Atlanta, correct? That is correct. Yes, this is the podcast we cover recent stories ripped from the financial press. Today, we're going to cover one from CNBC. Not only do we read them like some podcasts, but we're going to dive into how these affect your wallet, what you can do to invest, save, and pay down debt more effectively. And if that's not enough, we'll also share a big idea at the end of today's show you can take with you to be better with your money the rest of the day and all in usually less than 20 minutes. Today's show is brought to you by Ubiquity Retirement and Savings. Thanks to them for supporting Money with Friends. Ubiquity offers something you're going to want when the hiring begins here in America, which hopefully is right around the corner. They offer simple online, affordable small business retirement solutions for just 75 bucks a month. Get ahead of the future with help from Ubiquity's team of experts. Visit myubiquity.com to learn more. That's M-Y-U-B-I-Q-U-I-T-Y.com to learn more. And Paul Ollinger back for another appearance. Glad you're here with us, man. But but let's let's be serious. You're not here because you want to be here. You're hiding from your kids. <laughs> no, they're very busy with uh, learning. They're they're learning a lot of stuff right now over the computer. I don't know what they're learning, but they're learning something right now. I was going to ask about your mad teaching skills. Have you found during this whole thing that you went into the wrong profession and you could have been an elementary school teacher? No, I have not found that. Uh, what I have found is that my children are really not interested in my input on what they're learning. Um, I, and I think they're consuming what's happened to their consumption of, of elective stuff is that they're just, they're both going toward what's interesting to them. And by that, for my 10 year old son, that's world war two and history, as long as history involves tanks and airplanes. And for my daughter, it's art and drawing. So yeah. We're just trying to keep them busy, keep them, you know, away from, uh, away from sharp objects. That's, that's that, been our plan for six weeks. I was going to say, there's a whole nother teaching lesson there. I'm sure that we could pick up on of going with what interests you. What interests me today is the fact that a lot of people think that exchange traded funds, Paul, are always safe, always these great collections of baskets. And you know what, how can you lose your money when you got a collection? Totally. Of, yes, maybe, maybe that's not the case. Let's see which one of our friends can help us kick off today's discussion. This is Andy from Derby, Vermont. I just like hanging out and chatting about the news. That's why I tune in to Money with Friends. All right, today's piece comes to us from CNBC. It is written by Lizzie Gertus. Lizzie writes, oil ETF overseer addresses the risks of investing in crude-based funds. ETFs have found themselves at the epicenter of the crude oil collapse. One exchange-traded fund in particular, the United States Oil Fund, has been under extensive pressure in the wake of last week's collapse. 
oil price futures. The unprecedented move into negative territory forced the USO to restructure several times by dumping shorter-term futures contracts to avoid imploding on its many retail investors. It's also made the fund a target of short sellers betting against its survival. All this has made some in the industry question whether more education or warning should be required from companies offering ETF products that trade futures contracts. There's a lot there. The key is transparency, said Jason Bloom, who oversees the Invesco Oil Fund, a ticker symbol DBO, USO's top rival fund. While both USO and DBO have fallen precipitously this year, DBO has held up relative to its peer with a 51% loss. That's all, Paul, 51% versus <laughs> USO's 83% decline. USO and DBO are similar in that they're both ETFs and they both hold WTI futures contracts but that's about where it ends bloom said monday on cnbc's etf edge dbo since its inception over 10 years ago has always used an optimization process in selecting which futures contracts to own said bloom invesco's director of global macro etf strategy occasionally they own the front part of the curve which uso used to own exclusively until the several changes recently uh, that optimization involves a cost-effective calculation on DBO's part. Before its futures contracts roll over, the fund determines which futures contracts has the best cost of carry, Bloom said. In some cases, it's actually positive income if the futures markets are backward dated, which happens when the current price uh, rises above the future, uh, rise above the price of longer dated futures, he said. Man, we're in the weeds now. Right now, the opposite is happening with oil prices. They're in contango, which means longer dated futures prices are higher than the spot price of crude. Contango means there's a negative cost. There's a cost burden on the investor to hold that futures exposure over time, Bloom said. DBO seeks to minimize that cost in a contango market. We currently hold the, the March 2021 futures contract, which is pretty far out of the curve. It hasn't really been subject to some of these issues we've seen in the front of the curve. Here's where the transparency comes in. DBO shareholders know that the ETF will hold that uh, March 2021 contract until about three weeks before it expires. Then make that optimization calculation and roll it over, Bloom said. And before we go to Paul, I have to say, we went through all that. The key to this whole piece is in the stuff Paul's about to read. Hit it. And since I'm an expert in the oils mar oil futures market, this is good for me. So you have a great deal of transparency as what your exposure what your exposure is going to be in DBO, and then you can do the math, he said. If you buy DBO today and that future co futures contract is $29 a barrel, you know that if you're above $29 a barrel minus management fees, you have a chance to profit from that. So it just depends on your expectations and your time frame. We think it's the best balance between predictability, transparency, and having some sort of dynamic optimization bloom set of DBO. Tom Lydon, CEO of ETF Trends and ETF Database, agreed that investors need to be aware of what they own when they buy shares of commodity ETFs. I think a lot of investors were thinking that in buying USO, they may be able to profit from future oil prices when people start driving cars and flying in planes again. But what in fact they bought were people not filling up their tank and a bunch of tankers full of oil sitting off the coast, he said in the same ETF Edge interview. And it didn't translate to them. So you've got to look under the hood. 
Todd Rosenbluth, Senior Director of ETF and Mutual Fund Research at CFRA, echoed that point in the same interview. These kinds of products that use futures are more dangerous for investors, Rosenbluth said. It makes it harder for them to understand what they're actually owning. Rosenbluth pointed out that although USO is slightly cheaper to own than DBO, with an expense ratio of 73 basis points versus DBO 78, its underperformance has been notable. Over the past three years, USO has fallen 79% versus DBO's 39% decline. Wow. So you really need to understand what's inside the portfolio, how these are different, and then determine if there are uh, if these are even appropriate for you and your clients, Rosenbluth said. USO, the market's largest oil ETF by net assets, fell nearly 3% in Tuesday's session. DBO ended the day slightly lower. This is this is craziness, Paul. I mean, it just is is incredible. And by the way, the reason I wanted to read the top half of this, even though to many of you and me reading it, frankly, for part of it, it sounded like just gobbledygook and I couldn't understand any of it. This is the point. There's a lot of people out there investing in this stuff uh, that have no idea what they're doing. I was a financial planner for 16 years. I don't understand half of what I read. And that should be that should be the first red flag, right? That, right. that, that if, if if I don't understand how these futures works, I probably shouldn't be investing in this area until I've got some clue what the hell's going on. Yeah, stick to your knitting. I think this is a good place where where amateurs are going to get destroyed by people who actually know what the hell they're doing. But you know, sometimes you think, oh, well, oil's down. I got to invest in oil because surely oil is going to come back up. And then you go and pick some fun that your buddy at the bar told you or your buddy on the Zoom call told you. And and you're 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 putting your money in something you don't understand. And it's uh, I think it's highly dangerous. It's the 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 other piece of this that I want to point out is we have been taught money nerds have been taught over and over and over that cheap cheaper equals better, which I have repeatedly said cheaper means cheaper and cheaper is an important <laughs> thing to look at, but it does cheaper does not mean better. And you look at this, some people bought, I love the line that you read, Paul, that some people bought USO ticker symbol USO because it was five basis points, meaning guys five one hundredths of a percent cheaper than DBO. And yet the, 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 the return difference between the two of those was was a monster but you know that when people just go look up oh it's an etf they're trading oil i'll just pick the cheapest one and go with that man you got burned i love how they justify like uh the the relative loss of using the 83 percent decline as a benchmark right. yeah i mean we lost half your money but the other guy lost 83 percent of your money so we're better by the really? way, and, and and the fact, and it wasn't lost on me too, as a guy who gets pitched all the time and you get pitched, I'm sure for crazy money all the time by people that want to be on your show. Uh, I will bet the, the Invesco people, the dude that runs that fund was gleeful about the fact that he was going to point out the demise of this other ETF very, very nicely. He was going to tell you why, even though they're a little bit more expensive, they are way, 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 way better. Cause we only lost a huge amount of your money, not a catastrophic right. amount. Of, well, they're both might be catastrophic, but yeah. I'd say 50% in a few months is catastrophic. Might be, you think? But, but, but that said, you know, the average person, Paul goes out and they think about this and they go, okay, oil trading so super low people are going to drive again. Right. 
the oil versus the S&P 500 in the next three years? What could go wrong? Possibly. Yeah. So take a 50 gallon drum to the gas station and uh, fill it up and bring it home and just, you know, store your own gasoline at home. The cool I thing, mean, the cool thing about that is, is that they're paying you to do it now. So, right. Well, it makes about as much sense though. I mean, you know, the fact of the matter is, is very few people uh, or organizations have the resources and insight to profit off of these kinds of market moves. I mean, you know, if you don't know who the sucker is at the table, it's you, as I found out far too painfully, far too often. It's, uh, we, uh, have fun doing this live on uh, the Stacky Benjamins Facebook page. If you want to join us, it's facebook.com forward slash I stack Benjamins, Dr. Brad Klontz, who also is uh, part of our team. This, uh, third season of money with friends says investments are only cheap or expensive in retrospect. You find out that saving uh, five basis points, five one hundredths of a percent, Paul, might not have been as cheap as you thought it was. It might have ended up being incredibly expensive. Yeah, I mean, it, the hardest thing to do during this whole thing has been to do nothing. And yet that is generally the right thing to do. At least that's what I've been taught years over years over years, depending upon what kind of an investor you are. But like if you're in it for the long haul, you just got to sit back and not try to, you know, time the market. It's, it's, uh, it's, it, it takes a lot of discipline. I think, I think overall, that's really the hardest part about this entire pandemic is that what is, what is asked of us, what is required of us during this time is to not do what Americans do so well. It's go and work harder, go and go and uh, do heroic deeds. Indeed, what, what, what is necessary is more of a Zen approach to just let things happen, live your life quietly uh, and and just wait it out, and and that kind of patience is not something that we as a as a people have spent a lot of time developing. Well, and I think there's two things, right? There's there's fear and greed. I'm I'm fearful that if I don't do something, that bad things right. will befall me. But on the other side, there's a greed factor here too. Oil's low. I can finally use this coronavirus to save my bacon and finally. But you don't, but you don't, you're not in control of macro issues that that move markets. You know, I mean. The Fed comes out and, and has a statement, you, you know, about interest rates last night and the market's up whatever one or two percent on opening today. You know, a few Sunday, like three or four weeks ago, as this thing was really starting to look real, I was like, there's no way this doesn't lead to an entire meltdown. I should go all the cash, take my lumps when I'm only down 30 percent. And then the next day, the market was up like five and a half percent. That happens like once every couple of decades. Yeah. And and so, so you're just not in, and it's based on some, some news item that, that I didn't know about. And so, you know, it's the average person's just got to sit back and really, really be patient and not try to fix things that they cannot control. I was actually the opposite of that. I wasn't thinking bailout. I was thinking, let's go, let's go double down on oil. And when I first heard about the collapse <laughs> of oil, my very first thought, Paul was, are you flipping kidding me? There's no way we're going without oil. I am going to bet the farm. And I was thinking about, I was thinking about just let you know what a former financial planner does during this. I, I was thinking about taking everything and putting it in oil because I was that sure it was going to come back. And I'll tell you what I did. I felt that feeling, which everybody feels. I didn't go run to my TD Ameritrade account, my M1 finance account, and just go hit the button right away. I did a couple things. The first thing I did was I looked at different oil stocks 
Then I looked at oil ETFs. By the way, I did notice the difference between these two top uh, uh, oil ETFs. And the first thing I saw was that ticker symbol USO was actually playing a little bit of a different game. So then I realized that I wasn't looking at apples versus apples when I was looking at these two exchange traded funds. They were doing different things. And, th and that, by the way, led me to, I need to know more. So then I did a search on oil and what's really going on. And then I realized the same thing that we know every time this happens. Prices are low for a reason. There are people that already have the facts that made them low. And the opportunity here is a hell of a lot less than I thought it was on first blush. I went through all of those dominoes. And I think it's the second half of the dominoes where you actually go do your research, you know, go ahead and feel the gut feeling. That's fine. But then do your research and find out what's really going on. And as smart as you are, uh, Joe from Detroit doing a couple hours worth of research on oil is no match for the guy whose job it is to watch oil every day of the year. Yeah. That's what he does. He knows more about it than she, he or she knows more about it than you do. And he or she has a whole lot more writing on it than you do. So if you think you're going to outsmart that person, you're wrong. It's, and it, that's who's on the other side of the bet. Right. Looking for your, for your table stakes. Go ahead, Joe, put it all in. It's funny because I've said on stacking Benjamins over and over and over, beware backing up the truck. Like when you're like back up the truck, you got it. That's one of those emotions that you got to go, okay, there's something wrong here. And Ron, Ron says, and rightfully so. I said at the time, my very first thought was back up the truck, dude. This is going to be all oil all the time in my portfolio. Not, not Ron Snarsky's from Gwinnett County up, up I-85 from me. Hello, Ron. Well, well and, and, and Ron says that it's insider trading. And let's be clear, it, it, it isn't so much insider trading as it is uh, trading among people that do it every day. So the, to, to the effect that they're insiders, that they know the heartbeat of that industry. And you and I are interlopers who come in here for a couple of weeks when we hear a headline. Um, uh, completely, completely different thing. But the whether it's inside information or not, the inf the information differential is heavily stacked on their side. Yeah, agreed. Uh, in just a moment, we will have our big uh, thoughts about today's piece. But while we wait for Mr. Allinger to think up something absolutely brilliant, I'd like to say a big thanks to Ubiquity Retirement and Savings for supporting Money with Friends. You know, at some point, this whole thing's going to end, and there's going to be a lot of people with great skills who are looking for jobs. And if you want to pick them up, you better have a great benefits package for them. So if you're a small business owner, choosing the right retirement plan might seem complicated and it might seem like too much money, but Ubiquity makes it easy and more efficient to save for the future on your terms and within your budget. In just a few clicks, you'll see 401k plans designed by experts online, or you can talk to them and tailor a plan that meets your specific needs and the needs of your employees. They're affordable, flat, fee plans start at just $75 a month. Whether you're a solopreneur or have a team of 100 employees, everybody gets the same exceptional service at Ubiquity. Kickstart your future and your team's future, your business's future at myubiquity.com. That's M-Y-U-B-I-Q-U-I-T-Y.com to learn more. Big thanks to them. And man, I... And, and on, on one hand, I'm worried, uh, Paul, that this just after this weekend... We're seeing uh, a lot of America reopen. On one hand, I think, man, that's fantastic. On the other hand, I think, 
Remember to stay six feet away from each other, kids, because I don't want to go back. My daughter is in Japan, and they opened up everything, and then they closed it again because mm. uh, we, we just had to go, like I told my kids when they were your kids' age, stop touching everything. Yeah, we were coming back from spring break uh, March 14th, uh, and we were in an airport. And, and I, when you start observing your children – in a pandemic in an airport, you realize they cannot possibly keep them hands, their hands to themselves. So, uh, and good luck, uh, here in Georgia, we've reopened, uh, several types of businesses, including tattoos. So, uh, tattoo parlors. So good luck keeping your social distance whilst getting a tattoo. At the, 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 your tattoo says I test positive. That's right. I don't, I don't That's know. Right. All right. Uh, uh, so Paul, what's our big takeaway from this piece? For me, it's be patient, stick to your knitting. You know, if, if, if you, if you're going to try to game the market, the market's going to game you. So that's, that's basically it. I will gleefully say again to the people who say over and over and over that go for the cheapest one, cheaper is cheaper kids. <laughs> cheaper is not better. It's less cheaper expensive. Is that is Fighting the expense dragon is an important dragon to fight, but it's not the only dragon. And clearly in this case, if you went for cheaper, well, good luck with that. So, Paul, I heard that you might have this uh, podcast uh, called Crazy Money. You've heard that, huh? It's a rumor. It's a rumor. I do. I have a podcast called Crazy Money on which we explore the connection between money and happiness. And if you don't have a conscious understanding what you want from money, then you will work for money instead of the other way around. And, uh, tell me about guests coming up. Cause you have had, you have like, uh, you have this one week you're talking to somebody who's a Nobel prize winner. The next week you're talking to a comedian. Yeah. I mean, I try to talk to as many different kinds of people as I can and really try to understand how all different kinds of humans relate to money and, and, and explore that connection between money and happiness through the lens of each of my guests' money journey. So this week I've got on a young author named Michael Arsenault, whose new book, I Don't Want to Die Poor, chronicles his struggle with student debt and his, and his, and his efforts to make a living as an author and uh, freelance writer over the course of a decade post-college while he's dealing with six figures of educational loans. Oh my and, goodness. Uh, it's an interesting perspective. I think on some level he is representing the voice of, I guess it's Gen Y now who's coming out, who, who are coming out of college and, uh, you know, just saddled with, 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 with the anvil, the albatross of student loans that they don't have a practical, uh, route to, to repay and how it affects their optimism and their careers and their planning for the future and all that. Oh, wow. I can't wait to hear that. That is at the crazy money podcast where finer podcasts are distributed. <laughs> all right, everybody, Paul and I are back here tomorrow. We're going to talk about the Jetsons. The future is now. It turns out you thought you were quarantining. This is the future. My friends, I'm back with Paul. I'm Joe. We'll see you tomorrow back here at money with friends. This show is created and hosted by Joe Saul Cihai and Bobby Rebel and is a joint venture of BRK Media LLC and Stacking Benjamins LLC, copyright 2020. Ryan Sini and Nicole Thornhill from Pro Podcast Solutions engineered this show and Ashley Wall is the producer. 
for a list of the thought leaders who appear on the podcast, head to our website, moneywithfriendspodcast.com. You can also check out our schedule for upcoming recording sessions so you can join us and be a part of the show. As with anything, remember, you shouldn't take advice from any of us or other video or podcasts without first talking to your financial advisor and that the people in this episode are here for your and their entertainment purposes only. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and we'll see you back here next time with another episode of Money with Friends.